Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to This is the Jet Life with Dan Burnham. Your guide to the New York Jets sports and much more. And now... Your host, Dan Burnham. What is up, everybody? And welcome back to another episode of This is the Jet Life. This podcast coming to you after a New York Jets 24-20 victory against the Pittsburgh Steelers in Pittsburgh. Zach Wilson's first game back going up against both Mitch Trubisky and then Kenny Pickett after the half. And the Jets got off to an early lead, 10-0 early, feeling really good about what we had. There were some ups and downs from Zach Wilson. But forcing a lot of turnovers on defense kept the Jets in the game. And after two awesome drives in the fourth quarter, the Jets get out with a 24-20 win. The team goes to 500-2-2 in October. We're doing a podcast following a win. That never happens. And I'm super excited to talk about this podcast today. So, as always, before we begin, I need to remind you to rate, review, subscribe to this podcast anywhere podcasts are found. It can be found under the podcast title, Gang Green Nation Podcast. The series title is This is the Jet Life. It's also going to be put back on YouTube again. We got video. We got paycheck in the house. What up, Katie? Can I get a hail? Hi. All right. Super excited, of course. Very excited. Awesome to have Katie back. Um, We both took some time off. Uh, The wedding was absolutely crazy, so I didn't do a podcast last week. Katie, you were there. Wild time. I wanted to bring my camera, uh, but I didn't want to interfere. We could have done something there. Yeah, luckily there were a couple speeches from uh, some people that plugged the podcast, so that was... Yes, I think we got a couple couple subscribers after that. So. Yeah, great. Great Uncle Dan is now going to be listening to the podcast. But we are back on YouTube, so find it under This Is The Jet Life is the YouTube channel. And it's, uh, it's going to be you know called Steelers, Pre- Steelers Review, Dolphins Preview. And give it a like, give it a comment, subscribe. All that stuff is always appreciated. You can also follow me on Twitter, at Jets underscore Dan. And that's really all I got for introductory stuff. We could start talking about this New York Jets game. Starting with the positives of the game. And in this one, I think there were definitely a lot of positives. I mean, so many players played well. The Jets overcame so much. They won the game. They got to 500. And that's the biggest thing, is right now the team is 500. They're 2-2. Two and two. It's October. And if we looked at the schedule earlier in the offseason or any time before saying that you know, we're playing the entire AFC North right in a row for the first four weeks, and then we find out that Joe Flacco is not even going to play for the first three games. If we knew we were going to be 2-2, two and two, we would be ecstatic. And Joe Flacco was able to win one game, the easiest of the three that he played against the Browns. Got that win. Obviously, the Jets were winning for 22 seconds, and that's it. They were losing the rest of the game. So it wasn't great, but he got the win. That's what you want from a backup quarterback. This week, Zach Wilson back in there, able to get the Jets atop the Pittsburgh Steelers, who aren't a great team, but the Jets have trouble with teams like this. And these are the types of games that the Jets historically have blown over the past 10 years or so. So absolutely awesome to see the team done with the AFC North, ahead of schedule, honestly, at this point for what we expected to see at this time of the year. And there's only three teams in the entire AFC with a better record. 
there's three teams that are three and one. That's the Chiefs, the Dolphins, the Bills. Everybody else two and two, one and three. And the Jets are one of those two and two teams. So we have to keep stacking wins, but they're right there in the conversation with so many other teams that are struggling right now. Another positive, Zach Wilson leads a comeback drive to win the game. He started the game strong. The Jets did well. He kind of fizzled out for a while. And then when it mattered most, he played his absolute best football of the game and had a couple really awesome drives. Got the Jets 14 points when they needed it. They came back, won the game 24-20. So to see him kind of like overcome the first rusty game where he's going up in Pittsburgh, uh, hasn't played in a long time, brand new makeshift offensive line that he's got to kind of work behind. You know that he's not feeling super confident standing back there with all the moving parts. And he's able to find a way at the very end to do what matters most, continue the drives and, and win the thing. So you got to be really happy with Zach Wilson from that front. Uh, the safeties as well gave us a masterful performance. We've been giving a lot of... Uh, a lot of bad talk about the safeties so far. LaMarcus Joyner, Jordan Whitehead have sucked. Um, LaMarcus Joyner the most. Jordan Whitehead has had some nice plays, but his lack of tackling has been really frustrating. But in this game, they were incredible. And we heard from DJ Reed and some other people earlier in the week that they actually had had some meetings talking about communications and whatnot. And I guess they said that like they kind of figured out where the miscommunications were coming in and the breakdowns in the zone defense on the back end. So all of a sudden you see the game and these two were playing the best of the season. And Maybe they have something to it. Between the two players, they had three interceptions, almost a fourth. Jordan Whitehead almost had a second interception that was called back because of a car loss and personal foul, but they had three. They had eight tackles, five pass deflections. They didn't give up any huge plays deep. Joyner made an absolutely awesome pass deflection deep early in the game and making tackles in the backfield and stuff. It was just a nice, nice sight to see from our safeties that really have done nothing all season. So that's great. And then Zach being sacked one time in this game behind that offensive line is nuts. Joe Flacco was a statue back there. Guys were getting after him. He didn't have a great offensive line for a lot of things, um, what the Jets were dealing with either, but he would stand back there. He'd take the sacks. He'd fumble it. Zach sacked only one time in this game for a four-yard loss. Not going to say he was super comfortable in the pocket, but he moved around well enough to avoid the horrible plays. And there were some sketchy moments, of course, but... Uh, they get out of it, sacked one time with a win. Zach does well, safeties too, and feel really good. Now there's a couple negatives as well. Obviously, with any Jets performance, we got a bunch of positives, but always some negatives. The biggest one to me is like the Steelers kind of suck. This is probably one of the worst teams we're going to play all season. Without TJ Watt and injured Alex Highsmith, Mitch Trubisky playing, obviously not at a super high level, and then switching to a rookie quarterback in his debut. This was about as easy as it gets for the Jets, and we almost blew the lead to Kenny Pickett. Honestly, Zach Wilson did not look great for this game. I was not super impressed with the way that he played or stood in the pocket early on, but I understand it's early in the year and he's rusty, so what are you supposed to do? I mean, give him time, let him get comfortable, but you know, we could have seen a little bit more standing in the pocket, a little bit more quick decisions, a little more, you know, my dad made a good comment on like, you can tell when Zach Wilson's gonna make a good play because he either takes a three, five, or seven step drop with like conviction, plants off his back foot and throws it. One, two, three, throw. One, two, three, four, five, throw. It's those plays when you see him and he like does a jump and then all of a sudden you can tell he's about to start scrambling and moving around. And in those situations, a good thing hardly ever happens. So to see him a little bit more comfortable taking quick step drops, getting the ball out, getting it on time to the receivers, I think that would be great to see. But again, they made it through this one. He won the game. Stuff to work on in the future weeks. And the other negative is like we got tough games ahead. right? We just played the AFC North, which on paper, like going into the season was a very tough 
slate of games, but that's four games in. We're going up against the Dolphins, Packers, Broncos, Patriots, Bills, Patriots. Find me a bad defense in there. Find me one even as weak as the Pittsburgh Steelers. You're not going to be able to do it. It's going to be a tough road ahead, and that's really where we're going to find out whether or not Zach Wilson is, you know, sinking or swimming. And from what I saw, you know, we swam in this game. We got the win, but it looked like against one of those other teams it would be a little uglier. So we'll find out what happens. Overall, we got to be stoked with 2-2. Two and two. We got young players ascending. We got Zach Wilson gaining confidence. Wasn't always pretty, but they pulled off two wins in the first four games of the season, something that we're not really used to at all. One with a backup quarterback, one with Zach Wilson's first game with a lot of these players. And, yeah, I mean, a lot to be excited about for sure. Katie, what do you think? How did you feel, I guess, going into the game with Zach Wilson? Going into the game, I wasn't that confident at all. But uh, clearly today. Yeah. I mean, as a former swimmer, I think I think he's going to he's gonna swim. I, I kind of agreed with Rex Ryan today. He's one of the best quarterbacks the Jets have seen since Joe Namath. I mean, it's a very bold statement, but yeah. when he when he's on, he's on, and he just needs to stay healthy, and I'm super confident, of course. All right. Gotta, gotta be. Yeah, I mean, that's the big thing, is, like, we have to right now be supportive and, like, believe in the guy. The last thing we could do is just start unraveling ourselves as a fan base, but... Um, yeah, I mean, just watching the highlights this morning on ESPN again, it was, like... Yeah. Nothing better than Victory Monday when, like, yeah. all I want is Jets content right now. It's just, yeah. like, find me. I watch the Rex Ryan. I'm trying to find, like, anybody who is any sort of, like, face in the media. Just give me your thoughts on the Jets because I know it's going to be good because they had a good game. Yeah. Like, give me the Zach Wilson highlights. Give me the press conferences. What did Corey Davis think of the game? What about Garrett Wilson? I just, I love it right now. Yeah. Winning is great, especially winning, like, in October. It's so much better than so many years the Jets have been, like, 1-7. and seven. And they get three wins in December against bad teams, and you're just like, so we just ruined our draft positioning, and the wins mean nothing. And it's like, these are just backup players and garbage time games. But this right now is real. Yeah. The only thing that's exciting me more than Zach is the defense, obviously. I mean, just so many picks. It was great to see. Yeah. yeah. That's like something we never saw last year, which is interceptions across the board. Yeah. And it was all coming from two players with Michael Carter mixed in as well. But, like, good hands finally, making big plays. That's what this defense needs. It's going to help Zach. I mean... Hey, he played like that, struggled a bit, and got the win. So, life is good. Life is good. Life is good. We got paychecks takes. We got my thoughts. Next order of business is to hear what my dad, David Burnham, thinks in this week's Father Time. And both of us, a little out of sorts, recording this on a Monday, trying it out. A little bit more raw, a little more real. Gives us more time to upload and edit and everything for um, YouTube as well. But it doesn't give as much time for analysis and rewatching the games for me or my dad. He was a little caught off guard. Ended up writing this thing like in a doctor's office about 15 minutes before we started recording. So I've got an email here from him. Couldn't even print it out. Don't even have a paper copy of it. I got to read it from here. And this is my dad's thoughts for this week's Father Time. Here we go. Here's a bound on Monday after our big win in Pittsburgh. Our second win there in Jets history. We're breaking new ground and we should get used to it. Think about the contributions that run across the board. AVT is playing his third position in the last five games. Left guard to right guard to left tackle. I think he had one hurry at left tackle. We would have understood if Elijah had laid an egg because a one-week right guard to left tackle position switch isn't done. But he showed up and he shined. I thought I'd seen enough of LaMarcus Joyner last week. Well, two interceptions and a great game later, I can't wait to see him again. What happened? Well, 
It looks like they've smoothed some of the zone kinks out and they're learning to play together. I apologize for previously asking for perfect play from Reed, Whitehead, Joyner, and Sauce when they were playing their first games together a month ago. None were Jets last year. Corey Davis quietly blocks, runs a complete treat anywhere on the field, and has a fantastic knack for throwing the knockout punches. He deserves a lot of respect helping these young budding stars to excel. Brees Hall is a pickup truck and a race car all in one. He is ready to lead with MC1 right behind him. Quinnen was a monster yesterday, and JFM belongs next to him at tackle. With the tackles push and Lawson, Huff, Johnson, and Martin holding the lanes, sacks were the result, which negated scrambles all game long. And of course, Zach, and I'm tough on him, including last Sunday, but he went 10 for 12 with two scores and a comeback and looked like the New York Jets star that we all wanted. I'll be honest, I misplaced the hand-picked stats that I was going to spout to you, but we saw a new Jets team that is gelling and growing up, right? The NFL is taking notice, right? Will they be ready to rock Jet Life Stadium this Sunday? They will. This Jets team can't wait for Sunday afternoon, and neither can we. Go Jets. Whoa, what a father time from my dad. Thank you, of course. So many thoughts in here. So many things going on. I wasn't even aware that this was only the Jets' second win in Pittsburgh in history. Does that seem crazy to you? I had no idea. That's a good, that's a good touch. That's a good little, uh, little Dave Burnham night. He remembers. He was watching back in the, in the 70s and, and stuff. I think, he started in like 19, I think he started in 1971, like right after the Super Bowl. So he actually was a Colts fan for that game. It's like... A little blip on the radar. We tried to talk about that portion of it. He was a Johnny Unitas fan and then uh, switched as a kid at like nine years old. And Jets fan ever since, but he's been seeing all this. And uh, I guess the Jets never win there, so that was great. I love his thoughts on ABT because ABT was incredible. The fact that he could do that switch, we're going to talk about it later, but like it can't go understated switching from left guard to right guard was a pretty big switch to begin because everything is backwards. The forward foot is back, your dominant hand and everything, the guys that are coming at you. But then to go to left tackle, the opposite side, outside position, he's not necessarily built frame-wise for it, and for him to step into that role when we needed him to is awesome. Um, I love what he thinks about Corey Davis, Brees Hall, totally with him on that. And then the joiner talk. What happened there? Like him, like, I don't really know. But it does look like they're smoothing stuff out. Looks like they're getting more comfortable. You can see those plays that make him, you know, an asset to the team, the, the good hands on those interceptions and the good pass deflections that he had. When he's in the right position, he's good with, towards the ball. It's just like he can get out of position and make mistakes. So uh, very excited about that. Glad that my dad, who was not a fan of him, as we know, for most of this season, is coming around, at least for one game. And I hope he's right. I hope he's right about Zach Wilson looking like that star and everybody being ready to rally against the Dolphins because that's the big one. You know, we played the AFC North, and there's some rivals. Definitely the Steelers are kind of a rival after the history we've had, but the Dolphins, that's another level. That's AFC East stuff. That's can we get a win in the division where we need it? Can we take, you know, control over the Dolphins? We're 2-2. Two and two, They're 3-1. and one. It's possible, and there's a lot to look forward to. I hope they show up ready. I hope they don't get too ahead of themselves. I hope they aren't looking down on the Dolphins who are going to be playing Teddy Bridgewater instead of Tua. I hope they are coming in 100% ready to go. That would be awesome. Plus, a win at MetLife would be great because they've only been winning away. They won in Cleveland on that stupid uh, Brownie the Elf. And then they won on uh, Pittsburgh Steelers. It used to be Hinesfield. Now it's like Acrisure or something weird. Um, 
So winning at MetLife would be cool for all the people that are season ticket holders and never get to see the Jets win any important games ever. New fields, new Jets, I mean. Could be. That's the dream. So thank you, Dad, for this week's Father Time. Much appreciated. Before we go over to the next section of the podcast, we do need to take a quick commercial break. Alrighty, and welcome back to This is the Jet Life. The next order of business is to check in with the AFC East. And a lot of times since doing this section and this podcast, when we check in with the AFC East, it's just a quick, like, what are the Bills, Patriots, Dolphins doing? The Jets are at the bottom. But right now, it's getting a little spicy. That AFC East is actually becoming one of the better divisions in football because your basement team, the Patriots, are a little scrappy. They got some good defensive play, and the Jets are right there in the middle. The Dolphins look really good this year with their weapons, and obviously the Bills are kind of like the class of the AFC right now. So when you look at the standings, the Dolphins are atop after their win against Buffalo. They lost this Thursday night football game against the Bengals 15-27 to after Tua left with a concussion. Another one. Yes, another one. It wasn't a back injury. The guy's been slammed on the head a few times now and obviously won't be playing against the Jets this upcoming week because of that. But they're 3-1, and one, going on to take on the Jets in MetLife Sunday at 1 p.m. Right behind them, tied with the same record, just not winning the head-to-head as the Bills. They beat the Ravens in the last couple seconds of this game, 23-20. to They're now 3-1, and one, beat a good team. The Ravens, two times, the Ravens were, they beat us, obviously, we know that. But they were this close to beating the Dolphins. They had like a 21-point lead. And then they were so close to beating the Bills. They had them against the ropes. They lose that one, too. I mean, so close to just making everything so much better for the Jets, unfortunately. The Ravens fell to those two teams, and now the Bills are 3-1. and one. Their next game is going to be in Orchard Park versus the same Steelers that we just played. And it looks like Kenny Pickett is going to be the starting quarterback for that game as well. And hopefully he plays well. Got a little bit of the, the kinks out early against the Jets and can put up some good things against the Bills. We'll see. Jets are in third place with a 2-2 two and two record. Next home game, of course, Sushi Week against the Dolphins. And then the Patriots, last place, love to say it. They are now 1-3 with Bailey Zappi. In at quarterback, who's stepping in for Brian Hoyer, who is stepping in for Mac Jones. And clearly, Bill Belichick and the Patriots offense doesn't really trust Bailey Zappi at this point, as they didn't even have him throw late in the game against the Packers in overtime. The game was 24-24, real late. They didn't really step on the throat at all. They allowed the Packers to get the ball back. Aaron Rodgers did some Aaron Rodgers things, some really nice balls. Mason Crosby kicked the game winner. Patriots lose. They're 1-3, and three, and their next game is going to be in Foxborough against the Detroit Lions, who put up a lot of points and have an atrocious defense. So we'll see what happens there. Hopefully the Patriots can go to 1-4. and four. Early in the season would be awesome to see. Um, but that's where we're at right now. Dolphins, Bills, Jets, Patriots. So that is our AFC East check-in. So between these three teams that we got here in the AFC East, since we haven't played any of them yet, Katie, Dolphins, Bills, Patriots. Which one are you most worried about playing for the Jets? Who do you think maybe we can or can't beat within that group? Of course, of course I'm worried about the Bills, of, of course. But uh, I'm, I'm feeling good about the Dolphins, and uh, we love to see the Pats on the bottom. Yeah. We love to see that. Do you think that we can beat the Patriots? Yes. Because they suck, but like it just feels like it's destined to break our hearts because that's just what happens. I'm like so... I know. I'm, I'm plotting. I'm like ready to go to that game. I'm thinking about it. I need to see it. But um, no, I, 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 we love the Pats at the bottom. We love it. We love them back there. I can't wait for the Patriots game either. We switched it up. We used to do horrible 
for all, in case you didn't know, for all the AFC East games, we do sushi for all the Dolphins games, we do wings for the Bills games, and we used to do horrible Sam Adams beers for the Patriots games. And it was like, what do you do for Boston? It sucks, so might as well just like drink horrible beer. But then we were like, why are we putting ourselves through this? We're already playing the Patriots. Like, let's not drink Sam Adams. That stuff is gross. So we switched it up to steamers. Mm-hmm. So we do like steamers and clams for like a New England thing. And that's, like, another thing to look forward to. So even if these games, like, that mean the most to us are horrible and the Jets lose, it's like at least the food is good. Exactly. So I feel like that's that's the one saving grace. I'm stoked for sushi this week against the Dolphins. That's, like, that wife Shannon, who is now referred to as wife Shannon moving forward. Um, she doesn't come to a lot of games at Dave's house. Roommate Kyle and I go. And every time it's sushi week or Bill's week, it's, like, she, oh, you know, I, I think I'm available. I think I may come down and watch the game. And it's like, oh, interesting. When we were doing, like, frozen pizzas and subs, you weren't anywhere to be found. She's here doing whatever. she got a bunch of housework she's got to do. But, uh, yeah, we'll see if she makes the trip down for, for Sushi Week. It does feel weird saying wife Shannon. This podcast started as girlfriend Shannon. And then she upgraded to fiance Shannon. And now I just, I just call her the wife. I don't know wife Shannon or... The old ball and chain. You'll get used to it. I gotta get used to wearing this thing too. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a whole thing. A lot of changes. A lot of good stuff on the horizon though. The Jets are two and two. I'm married. Sushi week coming up. Life is good. Video. Hopefully it looks good. Great. In all of its glory, this awesome studio that we put together. Fantastic. All right. So next order of business is to talk about the players in the game against the Steelers, starting with the offense, and of course the most important. Zach Wilson. This was his first game in his second season. Obviously, Joe Flacco played the first three, was able to win one of them against the Browns, but Zach Wilson coming into this game, this was like a nice time to have him in because the Steelers without T.J. Watt, a banged-up Alex Highsmith, they're not a super strong defense. This was an opportunity for Zach Wilson to get a little bit comfortable, to get some of the rust off and everything, and hopefully get out with a win, and he did. And there were a lot of ups and downs. I mean, like I said, he was like skittish in the pocket. He rolled out kind of weird. Um, was trying to look for these plays downfield. I think my biggest issue, like the biggest red flag for me with Zach Wilson, is it looks like he's trying to play quarterback at BYU still. It looks like his goal is to drop back in the pocket. If he doesn't see his first read right away for an open throw, which a lot of times he doesn't, he wants to scramble around, use his athleticism to get around players, and is like waiting to find a receiver open downfield, just waving his hands like, right here, and then Zach will just throw a rope down the field and get it there. But that doesn't happen in the NFL. That happened to BYU a lot, all the time. And now that it doesn't, you see him like running around, looking at people, trying to find a guy open, and it's like, well, everybody's covered, so what are you going to do? He ends up throwing it away. He made a couple crazy like sack dodges, which was great because, honestly, Joe Flacco was taking those sacks and he was fumbling it and causing turnovers. So it's nice to see somebody evading the pressure, but just to see him more comfortable in the backfield, going through his reads and his progressions faster rather than trying to get out of the pocket in, like, some weird backyard play and make some ridiculous throw downfield. I don't want to see as much of that. At times, he was inaccurate on some easy throws, some little dump-offs to the running backs. A throw to Tyler Conklin was high, ended up in an interception. You could have blamed both players for that one. Um, some other inaccurate throws, a couple bad decisions on an interception. But at the end of the day, the guy had a receiving touchdown thrown from Braxton, which was cool as heck. The guy threw another touchdown to Corey Davis at the very end of the game when it mattered. He led the team 10 for 12 on those final two drives, got the Jets the win, and there's a lot of stuff to work on. 
Like, if you were to ask me right now if I think Zach Wilson is the answer for the New York Jets, and I had to tell you, I would say no. I would say that I think that at some point, it's all got to catch up to him. We're going to play a bunch of good teams, and eventually we're going to say, listen, throwing two touchdowns and two interceptions with 200 yards just isn't good enough. We need to find somebody who can take us there. Because when you look at the team, like, offensively, we got a ton of good players. Defensively, we're getting more and more good players, a lot of young guys in there. And I'm not sure if he's going to be enough to carry those guys to a higher level. I think he's going to hold them back. But that said, we're one game in. He won it. Comeback win is kind of like the most important thing that you can do because there's that X factor to quarterbacks that a lot of Jets quarterbacks just haven't had, that ability to win at the end of the game. And he showed it. So we're kind of like in this, we're in a holding pattern here. we got to wait and see. This was one game against a bad team. His first game back, though, with a lot of new pieces, bad offensive line, and we got to... Uh, we got to monitor it. I'm not feeling 100% confident yet, but definitely excited to see what happens next. And uh, he's only sacked once, so moving well enough. Yeah. The O-line is huge for him. You know, if we can continue over the years to progress that, I, I believe in him. I mean, he was accurate when it mattered. Yeah. But I agree he did miss a few. There still were, like, some crazy Corey Davis catches and stuff that, like, at the end of the game, like, that great drive was, like, still, like, holy shit, I can't believe they're catching these balls. Like, they're this close to something crazy happening. But it all worked out. And, I mean, like, to his credit, if you were playing with that offensive line and you knew that you were playing with a brand-new left tackle and then Max Mitchell's there and he goes out and Connor McDermott's playing and Nate Herbig's in there, like, you would definitely not be 100% comfortable going into your first game of the season knowing that you're probably going to have a lot of pressure in your face all game long. I think uh, there was a lot of reasons for him to be a little less comfortable, and he will be moving forward. He'll be used to playing. He'll have a better offensive line. He'll have more chemistry with these players. So good things ahead. But stay positive. Definitely good things ahead for Zach Wilson. So that's Zach Wilson. Looking over at the running backs, um, this is an interesting group because the two guys, Brees Hall and Michael Carter, and I thought it was super important that the Jets lead on the run in this game specifically. One, because the Steelers are susceptible to the running game, but also because Zach Wilson's first game back, you knew they weren't going to be doing like that Joe Flacco 65-yard pass attempts type of game plan. Feels like Michael Floor always likes to throw the ball a ton with Joe Flacco, and the second it's Zach Wilson, he kind of like babies him a little bit. He's like, let's do some more trick plays to try to get the offense going. Let's hand the ball off more. So I was expecting that, and they had a little bit of trouble going. Michael Carter didn't have a great game, statistically, specifically. Um, you know, he had like nine carries and two catches, but for not a lot of yardage, not a great yards per carry. Brees Hall was the better of the two backs in this game. He did have that game-winning touchdown at the end of the game with nine seconds left also, which some people are like, you know, Brees Hall extended the ball to the goal line and it got knocked out. That was a little reckless. But at the end of the day, if you're a running back and you see the goal line right there and you know all you have to do is reach out and touch it with the ball and you win the game, I think you go for it. He did. It was knocked out a couple seconds after, but the Jets get the win. And Brees Hall played very, very well, considering that offensive line was having a lot of trouble. And you can tell that, like, specifically Brees Hall um, and Michael Carter, I guess, both those running backs, they were trying to be really patient, getting the ball in the backfield and waiting for holes to open up. But unfortunately, with that offensive line, there were more guys getting through to the backfield and holes opening up. So a lot of plays were, you know, ending in negative yardage or not a lot of yardage for the backs. But Brees Hall ends with 17 rushes for 66 yards, 3.9 yard per carry average. Michael Carter ends with nine carries for only 15 yards. Not great. 1.7 yard per carry average. But overall, team had 98 rushing yards, 3.4 yards per carry, and they did enough, especially at the end of the game, to get that touchdown to pick up some first downs. 
You know, they leaned on Brees Hall for a third and five early in the game, ran the ball. He picked up five yards to get the first down. Kind of a, a crazy call when you think about it for how much yardage was needed. But the guys are getting better, and I think as the offensive line improves and those players get more comfortable, they're going to have some really big games coming up. Looking at the tight ends in this game, Tyler Conklin has been up and down all season. He's been one of the most targeted players in the Jets' offense, but a lot of it's coming in garbage time. He's had a few fumbles, had a few drops. In this game, he had a ball that was thrown up high, went off his hands, intercepted by the defense. That was a, uh, a costly drop there that he definitely could have come down with. But he did have a couple nice catches down the stretch, picked up a couple nice first downs, and he is remaining one of the Jets' best receiving options and most targeted guys in the offense. You know, he's not on the outside. He's in the middle of the field where Zach Wilson's probably going to like to continue targeting him. And I expect him to get more and more comfortable in this offense. I don't think he's the type of player that's going to drop a ton of passes or fumble a lot of balls. It's just kind of been the case of his first quarter of the season. Expect that all to turn around. The other two tight ends in this game, C.J. Uzama, who's been very, very quiet this year, quiet in this game. Jeremy Rucker played a little bit quiet in this game as well. Kenny Yaboa, Lawrence Cager, those guys inactive for this game. Then a wide receiver, a guy who's still not getting enough credit, it seems like. Corey Davis played great again in this game. Five catches for 74 yards. A huge touchdown at the end of the game when the Jets needed it. Big-time catches, big first-down conversions late in the game. He showed up more in the second half, of course. That's like when he kind of took over. But it was him and Zach Wilson thriving and driving at the end of the game in the fourth quarter. And the guy blocks well. He shows up when you need him to. He's consistently like one of the most productive offensive players for the Jets anytime he's in the game. And you wouldn't know this, but or you might not think of it. For, there's three players in the Jets that are targeted more than Corey Davis. That's Garrett Wilson, Tyler Conklin, and Brees Hall in the passing game. Most being Garrett Wilson with 39 targets. Corey Davis is at like 26. But still, he leads the team in yardage, 261 yards. He's tied with the most touchdowns, two. He leads the team in yards per catch at 17.4. He's got the most first downs on the team with 13. He's tied for the most big plays. I mean, even though he's not the most targeted player on the team, he still has the most production. He is the guy that gets it done, and we're very, very happy to have Corey Davis out there each and every game because Elijah Moore's up and down, Garrett Wilson's up and down, but Corey Davis is always right there. Speaking of those other two, Elijah Moore started this game super effective early and often. He had two big catches early on. After the, uh, by the end of the game, though, three total catches for 53 yards, Went real quiet at the end of the game. Four total targets. Garrett Wilson, he had one nice big play, a 35-yarder that was a nice little yards after catch. You could see that, that nifty little movement and that great athleticism. But he had a handful of drops. He had the second most targets in this game with six targets. Only had those two catches for 41 total yards. And the drops are like, he's starting to have a case of the drops because he's dropped some in basically a ball in every game. I think one game he didn't against the Bengals maybe, but he's dropping the ball at a fair rate. And it's a little bit, concerning because he's supposed to be a great receiver and we need him to catch the ball but at the other side of things like his athleticism and his growth in this offense is going to accelerate and he is going to be such a dynamic player someone like we don't even have you can kind of handle some drops here and there I think he's going to get better as time goes on more time spent with the jugs machine but you look at guys like DK Metcalf around the league Deontay Johnson um, there's a lot of players that are very, very good receivers that can make huge flashy plays, but they drop the ball here and there. Sometimes it hits them right in the hands, they drop it. Garrett Wilson is that receiver right now. All the talent in the world, just still some concentration issues, has to work on it. But I do believe that he's going to put the work and effort in to get his hands better. And 
if that's the only thing we can really complain about in his game, it's all going to come. It's all going to come together. I, I'm not too worried about it. Barrios only had one catch, but a great touchdown throw to Zach Wilson. That was very cool. And then Zach Wilson had a touchdown grab, so he's got some receiving stats. Jeff Smith was targeted once, but it was intercepted, so, you know, still not a lot going him there. And Mims inactive for this game, rounding out our wide receiver room. The last group on offense, this one was a hodgepodge mess of players. This is the offensive line. And holy moly, if you told me a couple weeks ago that this is what we'd be rolling out in week four for our offensive line, I don't think I'd even believe you. The Jets go AVT at left tackle for the first time in his NFL career. They go Lakin Tomlinson to his right, so they've never played in those two positions next to each other before. Connor McGovern in the middle. Nate Herbig moved to right guard where Elijah Vera Tucker had been playing. And then Max Mitchell, the rookie starting at right tackle, gets injured. He's going to miss a few weeks. And then you put in Connor McDermott. This whole thing was crazy to even see. And when you start going right to left, I guess, Connor McDermott, when he came in, struggled mightily. Max Mitchell, so much better than him. Unfortunately, we'll miss a few weeks. We'll see the extent of the injury as uh, information becomes available. But we'd like to get Max Mitchell back sooner than later. We're also going to be looking to get Dwayne Brown back, who will probably be able to play left tackle, maybe move ABT back over, but a lot of moving parts there. I think Nate Herbig, as a backup, did a fair job. It wasn't an incredible game, but Zach Wilson was sacked once. The lanes weren't horrible. Herbig filled in, did fine. Connor McGovern did have a good game. Lakin Tomlinson, up and down, but uh, not really what we paid for because he's a high high price free agent that Jets added in. He was supposed to be one of those guys that just kind of takes over on the offensive line and dominates the league, but unfortunately he's been a little bit more up and down than we'd like. But keep in mind, we're moving guys all over the offensive line, so the chemistry is like all out of whack. And then you've got our offensive player of the game, and we hardly ever do this. We're giving it to an offensive lineman in Elijah Vera Tucker because what he's doing for this team is ridiculous. In an offensive line unit where every single player, it seems like, is getting injured, specifically guys on the outside, he has remained healthy and on the field time and time again. He doesn't say anything, he's a humble guy, he gets the job done, and even though he's playing left guard and this season they say, hey, can you move to right guard, he doesn't complain, he does it, he does his job. And then when everybody gets injured, your top four tackles go down and you say, hey, we know you've never played left tackle in your life and it's the hardest position in the offensive line in the NFL. Do you think you can go there for Zach Wilson's first start of the season, going up next to Lake and Tomlinson you've never played next to, and just play an entirely new position? And he does it, gives up only one pressure, is pretty dominant throughout the game. And this guy doesn't get enough credit because he's not flashy and he doesn't do a lot of like those big pancake blocks that you'd see from Makai Becton or something like that. And it's like, wow, look at this guy's dominating people. He's not the most physically gifted guy in the world. He's got some short arms. Playing tackle, you didn't think it would work. He was able to do some tackle in college, but nothing in the NFL, we didn't think. And now to see him that versatile, another good game and Really, if he doesn't play that well and the Jets are playing somebody like Grant Hermans or someone that's never played tackle before in the NFL um, that's worse than ABT, the Jets probably lose this game. Zach Wilson probably gets sacked. He's probably under pressure, probably makes more mistakes, interceptions, fumbles. It's such a quiet performance from ABT because he didn't really stand out, but the fact that he didn't stand out and you hardly noticed him was just like, how is he able to do that? Just play left tackle out of nowhere after playing guard forever. It, it makes no sense. It's incredible. We are so lucky to have him on the team, have him healthy, and apparently able to put him literally anywhere that we want on the entire offensive line. I think he can play any position. I'm sure he could play center. Why not? Never done it, but 
I have no doubt in the world about this guy. So he is our offensive player of the game. You can see we got our players from last week. I obviously didn't do a podcast last week, so a couple new additions that we had. We had Brees Hall winning it for offensive player of the game last week. We had Quincy Williams who got injured. That was really unfortunate, but he was like a heat-seeking missile in that game, making big old plays. He was our defensive player of the game against the Bengals. Greg Zerline went 4-4. Four for four. That was a great performance from him. So they were added, and our offensive, defensive, and special teams player of the game will be added to that board, but I'm not going to put him up there until it happens because I don't want to give any spoilers away. So that is the offensive side of the ball. Now, before going over to the defensive side of the ball, we do have to take a quick pit stop at the cooler for a little What's On Tap. That is right, folks. This is What's On Tap. And today, I've got myself a special lager 16-ounce can brewed by the one and only Treehouse. Hey oh, this is the Wanderer. 5% alcohol, 16-ounce can. Absolutely beautiful artwork. I'm gonna zoom in just a little bit. Oh yeah, give me a zoom. Love it. Ooh, hoo, hoo. It is a beer. I've never had this one before specifically. Did you get a good, yep. good shot of it? Hell yeah. It's got a lady on top of an RV drinking a cup of coffee. Looking at the sun out on the land. Very adventurous. It's not a super adventurous beer because it just tastes like a lager. But honestly, Treehouse, they can't miss. They're known for their IPAs, their double IPAs. But this lager is super crisp and refreshing, and it was probably like, you know, four bucks for a freaking lager. I don't know what it ended up costing, but probably well over the price point that it should be. But honestly, you don't get these very often. I probably won't see this Wanderer lager again for another two years because you can only get it up at the brewery. And then by the time you get up to the brewery, you find out that they're making 15 different beers that were ones that weren't there last time. So if you had a favorite, good luck trying to find it. It's a... Uh, it's a great experience. It's worth going up there, and any of their beers are good. Can't really miss, but this one, no different than the others. The Wanderer. So that Wanderer is what I'm enjoying on this Victory Monday. The New York Jets beat the Steelers 24-20 to in Pittsburgh. Oh, what a day. Oh, what a beer. That is what's on tap. Now we got to do a quick commercial break. Alrighty, and welcome back to This Is The Jet Life. We are going to move to the defensive side of the ball and talk about a pretty great Jets performance that they went up against not one but two different quarterbacks, starting with Mitch Trubisky, who had really struggled in the first half. He had had an interception, 84 total yards on 7 for 13 passing. Not a great game. We weren't sure going into this game if the Steelers would want to use the extra additional day since they played Thursday Night Football the week before, if they would want to use that extra time to get Kenny Pickett ready to play and do a transition to Trubisky. We find out before the game, you know, two days before, that it's going to be Trubisky starting, but obviously not a, sh a long leash for him. At halftime, they decided to make the switch to Kenny Pickett, who came in and, and definitely played better. I mean, the guy was 10 for 13 for 120 yards and, you know, ran for two touchdowns. So right there, you're like, okay, that's kind of a nice rookie spark. But he threw three interceptions. The Jets were able to keep him in check well enough. They uh, didn't get any sacks on him, but his overall performance looked like a rookie quarterback who was taking what the defense gave to him, running for first downs, running for touchdowns, but not really excelling in the passing game in any way. It felt like an early Sam Darnold game. It felt like an early Zach Wilson game, which, yeah, there's some bright spots if you really want to look at a specific play here and there, but the overall body of work wasn't good enough from him, just like Trubisky. Jets only give up 178 passing yards in this game. They get three sacks. They force four interceptions, almost had five. 
And it was a good performance across the board from the Jets' defense. He started in the defensive line, and Quinnen Williams is still doing awesome Quinnen Williams things. He's having the best season of his career. He's leading the team in sacks with 2.5. He had another sack in this game. And I don't care if he's playing 100% of the snaps or not. I don't care if he's winning on the sideline. When he's in there for his snaps, he's rocking. He's getting all over the place. Two quarterback hits in this game and six tackles. Love what I see from Quinnen. You'd think he was going to be the defensive player of the game, but we got even better stuff coming up. On the offensive line next to him, Sheldon Rankins, I think, is having a pretty good impact this year. He's a guy that was up and down last year and doesn't get a lot of credit. Definitely was kind of given a lot of the blame last year for some of the Jets' defensive woes, specifically in the running game. But Sheldon Rankins makes some plays. He's got some flaws to his game. There's definitely some drawbacks. But, like, you've got guys like Nathan Shepard who are playing that have major drawbacks to their game and never make good plays. Sheldon Rankins makes the good play. So it's like, okay, at least we have him out there for a reason because he gives us something. Solomon Thomas made a few plays at defensive tackle in this game as well. But I agree with my dad that I'd like to see more John Franklin Myers moved inside next to Quinnen. That way you can focus on guys like Jermaine Johnson, who played really well in this game, getting him more defensive end snaps, maybe getting uh, Jacob Martin, who's been really quiet even in this game, maybe getting Bryce Huff, who was finally in, Carl Lawson more snaps, and just get JFM inside. I think that would make more sense for the Jets, but it'll probably be matchup dependent, and we'll see how the Jets elect to do that moving forward. I said Jermaine Johnson. He's continuing with his strong play. He had a sack in this game, and... Some really nice, the thing about Jermaine Johnson is like he's not super flashy, but he makes a couple plays in every game, and he's equally good against the run as he is against the pass. Right, he's gotten after the quarterback a couple times this year, had the sack in this game, but his plays along the line of scrimmage, going down the line or going up to the backfield and making plays there, that's what you want to see from Jermaine Johnson from a first-round pick, not just going after the pass or not being a one-trick pony like a Clay Matthews who just blasts up and everyone just screams the hell out of you. you got to be a versatile player, set the edge, stop the run, and then go after the passer, Jermaine Johnson. He's young, he's just getting going, but we're starting to see continued strong play. Michael Clemens got a QB hit. Uh, Bryce Huff was active for, I think it was the first time. He got a nice quarterback pressure in this game. Carl Lawson, he had a sack, and he's been quiet this year so far. He had a nice sack in this game, a really important one, and you were like, all right, Carl Lawson, nice to see you get back there. Good to get into that sack column again. But then he had this really bad penalty before the half where he got a personal foul on a play that had already been thrown before. Like, he could have let up and not hit um, Mitch Trubisky at this point. It was an intercepted ball by Jordan Whitehead. The Jets would have had the interception, and it would have limited the Steelers from three points. Unfortunately, Carl Lawson had a late hit. They get a 15-yard penalty. Boswell comes in, long kick, makes it, and the Jets give up three points there. They didn't have to. So that was a bit of a bummer. But he did have the sack, and we'll see if he can continue just kind of getting his stuff going. He had two quarterback hits in this game, so definitely getting a little bit more activity back there, albeit against, you know, Kenny Pickett and Mitch Trubisky. A little bit easier than some of the other quarterbacks we're going to go up against. Moving to the linebackers. Solid performances all around. CJ did his thing. He led the team with tackles. He always does. He's a force in the middle. He does well. Tackles, wraps up. And he led the team when the team really needed to get stops at the end of the game. He's the defensive captain. He is the rallying force. He makes the defensive adjustments, audibles if they need to do them. And he got the guys rallied around and got everybody, like, you know, sticking with it because Kenny Pickett was having a little bit of flash and flare, and the Pittsburgh crowd was really into it being out there. And we needed stops, and you could just tell the Jets were, like, very engaged, very focused, buckled down, and that's what led to that big Michael Carter interception. So I love to see CJ out there being the leader on the defense. 
Quan did his best Quincy Williams impersonation, filling in for him with a big old hit. Nice hit stick from Quan. We've seen a lot of that from him this year. And then as Quan moves in for Quincy, Marcel Harris moves in for Quan, where Quan had been playing in like 50% snap roll. Marcel Harris took that on. Had an okay game. He's not a, uh, a real difference maker for the Jets at this point, but we'll see when Quincy Williams can come back and get that linebacker core back where it should be. Looking at the cornerbacks, this group is strong. Love the performance because Sauce is dominant yet again. He went up against, I think, four different receivers for the Steelers um, at various points throughout the game. Balls were thrown. He gave up like two catches, no touchdowns. He's really freaking good. His coverage is awesome. There were some nice sticky plays where he was covering George Pickens downfield. And it's like, man, no matter what, when they throw the ball downfield, if Sauce is guarding him, they never have five yards of separation. He's always right there. And this cornerback group has yet to be flagged this entire season. That was one of the things that we thought was going to be an issue for Sauce Gardner. His coverage is super sticky. He's so good at getting on the receivers that maybe he's going to draw some flags. But he's been really, really good. The one thing I'll say about Sauce, the guy doesn't want to tackle. And I understand it. He's got a slender frame. He's a very important player for the team. He doesn't want to get injured. But he is making business decisions a lot like Antonio Cromartie was early in his career. Luckily, Sauce Gardner plays some of the best coverage we've seen from a Jets cornerback in a long time. And at that point, like, listen, I don't want Sauce to get injured. And to stop a running back from getting three more yards versus having him go down and replace him with Bryce Hall for the remainder of the season to get torched in the Jets, like, we need those smart decisions. It sucks to see him like that, but listen, it is what it is. And when you have an elite talent like that, a superstar cornerback, you do have to make the right decisions. On the other side, DJ Reed, he's still strong, another strong game. He's been really reliable, still tackles well. And then the nickel cornerback, Michael Carter, had that amazing interception at the end of the game. Another nice play in this one. Good game from him. He's a guy that like plays a decent amount of snaps for the Jets and doesn't get a lot of credit. He doesn't have a lot of time making big plays, and when he does, it seems like it's not like as big a deal as when somebody else does it. It's just like, oh yeah, Michael Carter had a sack, or oh yeah, a nice forced fumble or interception. But this was a really big one for him. And super happy to see him do that. Nice catch right on the sideline, get the Jets the ball back, win the game, all part of it. Great freaking performance from that cornerback room. Love it. And then to round out the secondary, the safeties. What a freaking game from the safeties. We talked about it earlier, but we're going to talk about it again because LaMarcus Joyner is our defensive player of the game. Holy shoot, this guy could do no wrong in this game. From the very first deep ball thrown, he had a hand on the ball, beautiful pass deflection, and for the first time, we all sat there like, holy shit, did Joyner just make a, a dope play? And like, he hasn't done this all year. He didn't get burned. He had makeup speed. He had five yards of separation between him and the receiver on a pretty well-thrown ball from Trubisky, but he gets there, blocks it away, and we're like, okay. And then there's a ball that's thrown short, and he dives and barely gets his hands underneath. And at first, we're like, was that Joyner? Did he catch it? You see the replay, and you're like, holy, this was perfect. And then he's getting in the backfield, timing the snap counts. He tipped a ball to Jordan Whitehead for his interception. And on the very last play of the game, the Hail Mary attempt from Kenny Pickett, he intercepts that ball as well. I mean, LaMarcus Joyner, a guy that has been kind of given a lot of grief by everybody, the entire fan base, this podcast, my dad, anybody that's watching the Jets a lot, not been happy with the free safety play, not been happy with either safety so far. And Joyner absolutely delivered. On the other side next to him, Jordan Whitehead, the same. Another great performance. He had the interception on the ball that was tipped from Joyner. He was tackling. He was wrapping guys up for the first time this year, it feels like. He almost had a second interception on that ball that was thrown before the half by Mitch Trubisky. Unfortunately, the Carl Lawson penalty kind of negated that. But just really nice to see from the safeties. One of the biggest weaknesses on the entire team was the safeties coming into this week. And it was a problem. And right now you look at that and you say, 
I don't expect this every single week. I do not expect 12 more games of that safety group being dominant, but what I do know is they have the ability to play good football. That when the ball is thrown to LaMarcus Joyner, he can catch it. He can tip the ball. Jordan Whitehead can. Those were not easy interceptions by any stretch. Those were not easy pass deflections. Those were plays that required like a real ball and skill. A lot of guys in the Jets in past years that would not have made those plays. And whether or not they make defensive breakdowns and don't wrap people up in tackles for the remainder of the year, I'm not sure. But in this game, they made the plays. You gotta love it. LaMarcus Joyner, defensive player of the game. Let's go. And then, last but not least, we have special teams. And it was a really quiet special teams performance. Um, you can kind of tell when Greg Zerline wins special teams player of the week for just making all of his kicks, which was one field goal and then extra points. Really not a special performance, but I think that when you look at what he's done back-to-back -back weeks, making four last week, making all of his extra points, three of them this week, a field goal. I mean, the guy's rolling right now. He had a really shaky week one, and I was willing to be like, oh my gosh, the Jets are doing it again. Bad kicker performances yet again. But then, last three weeks, I feel like we got Greg the leg. We got the original Legatron. He's our special teams player of the game for making all those kicks, getting the Jets the points they absolutely needed. He was responsible for six points in this game. Jets win by four. Love to see it. Braden Mann, solid punting. Had a couple nice ones inside the 20. We had no returns for Braxton Barrios in the punt return game. Um, there were a couple tough fair catches that he caught. Uh, obviously no issues there. He doesn't bobble a lot, but no opportunities to return. One guy that I noticed uh, make a nice play, Michael Clemens, nice little special teams tackle. One guy I noticed make a bad play. Brandon Eccles was a gunner on a punt. The punt returner is trying to get the ball, and he's like waiting for it. And Brandon Eccles, instead of jumping in front of him and making him call a fair catch, runs past him and then is behind him. And the guy is just like, oh, he ran right past me. I'm not going to call a fair catch. I'm going to catch it and run for six yards. And they got extra six yards on a return that absolutely didn't have to happen. You just think to yourself, like, Eccles, what are you doing back there? What, what help do you do running past the return man for no reason? It... I mean, we got to figure out those gunners. I think that's been kind of an issue for the Jets all season long. I'd like to see Justin Hardy down there faster, but he was the opposite gunner that ball was kicked to the Brandon Eccles side, so unfortunately he didn't get to uh, get there first. We'll see what they can do moving forward as they keep swapping guys around in the gunner game to see who can do the best job. But that is our special teams. So now there's only one order of business left, and that is Miami Dolphins preview. That's right, folks. This is Sushi Week. The Dolphins are currently three-point favorites, game being played in MetLife Stadium, so you'd expect like one and a half points given to the Jets just for being home. So they would say Vegas is thinking the Jets are expected to lose by about four and a half or five points at home, which is pretty close considering the Dolphins are three and one and one of the better teams in the AFC, of course. But then, of course, you see Teddy Bridgewater's coming in for Tua, so it's like not their starting unit. You got to kind of figure out whether or not it's a real downgrade to go from Tua, who's having a pretty good year, but has amazing weapons around him or whether or not Teddy is kind of that steadying force that they need to just make the right plays, beat up the Jets' zone defense, pick up easy yardage. And I'm not sure exactly how I feel about uh, this matchup going in. I know I want to beat the Dolphins. I know that the Jets can beat the Dolphins, but I also know that we haven't been playing well at home this year. We're 0-2 at home. The Dolphins are a very good team and have a lot of weapons like the Jets haven't really seen so far this year. And uh, we'll see. When you look at the coaching staff, for the Dolphins. A lot of scrutiny right now for Mike McDaniel, the head coach, who put Tua back in after he had an obvious concussion, but they're like, oh no, it was the back. He was hurt on an earlier play, and then he was hurt on his back again. It's like, yeah, okay, that's 
clearly not what happened, but they're under scrutiny. We'll see what happens with uh, the NFLPA that's coming after them pretty hard for putting their players back in the game. Dolphins fired their independent neurologist, which is like such a freaking PR move just to get that guy, oh, you're out of here. Like, okay, well, whatever they got to do to try to save face right now. But overall, Mike McDaniel, he was an offensive assistant for Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco, just like Mike LaFleur. He was there as well. Anything that Kyle Shanahan touches in the NFL appears to turn to gold. Everybody wants to get their hands on one of his coordinators, and rightfully so. The guy's an incredible football mind, but Mike McDaniel's just a, a very strange fella, and his interviews are like, man, what a weird guy to be leading a group of professional athletes making millions and millions of dollars, and you got this guy who, like, is tr it's super awkward and trying to be funny and stuttering through his words. It's like, there's no way you could hire this guy to be a leader of men unless you're trying to tell me that he's an absolute football genius. And I am not ready to admit that this guy's an NFL football genius just from doing whatever he did in San Francisco behind the scenes in these last first couple games in Miami with you know some of the best playmakers in the league and a great defense. I am not, uh, not sold on Mike McDaniel. I'd like to see this guy fail, obviously, being a Dolphins coach. What could be better than that? Their offensive coordinator is Frank Smith, defensive coordinator Josh Boyer, so it's a very young uh, coordinator group and head coaching group, but there's a lot of promise and hype around these guys. Um, there's a little bit more a week ago before to his injury when the team was 3-0 and and everything was looking, you know, like roses and flowers, but now a little bit of stink in the air in Miami. I got to agree with you on the, on the press conferences. I mean, he was talking about now he showers more and stuff like, uh, like uh, TMI. Like, he probably planned that comment, too. Yeah. It feels like that's the type of thing that he was, like, sitting there, like, oh, I have something funny I can say. And it's just so weird and awkward, and it's like, I don't know. He's, like, going for this weird shtick, or he's just the weirdest guy ever that's just not comfortable talking to people, which is fine. He doesn't have to be comfortable talking to them, but, like, you are leading a group of million-dollar-making players, so you kind of have to be, like, that voice. And if you're not that voice and you're like, well, that's not his strong suit, then you're telling me that his... Everything else can overcompensate for the whatever. If the players like him, that's fine. We'll see what happens. The Jets, if they beat him, that would be a very good one. But uh, I will say, though, it's, I mean, it, it, they definitely have a few more days to rest, and that worries me a bit, but it does make me feel better that we're going against QB2, you know? Yeah. It is Teddy, yeah. and he's like a really good backup. I watched him on Thursday. It's, that's kind of like what you get from two of them, no? Yeah. Like, yeah, I don't know. It's just like, yeah, it's the Dolphins quarterback experience. Thing is, like, if he's going to get the ball to Jalen Waddle or Tyree Kill and they're going to burn the Jets' cornerbacks or safeties, I mean, that's going to be a real nightmare. And uh, Jalen Waddle's sort of a sore subject for me right now because I don't know if you remember at the wedding, pretty late hours, maybe uh, right before closing time, we were on the uh, dance floor a little bit and I saw you... I saw you doing a little bit of a waddle, and I believe my words were, uh, that is not allowed here. That's not allowed at this, at this wedding here. And you really, yeah, it was just, you know, time and a place. This is my wedding day, and I'm seeing a waddle, and it's like a little penguin dance that he does. It's uh, pretty funny if he's on your team, but if you're a Jets fan, you absolutely don't want to see it at your wedding dance floor. <laughs> no, that's okay. We were partying hard, and uh, hopefully we don't see him doing that against the Jets this week. Those two. Yeah, that's my take. I don't want to see that dance once, so I had to do it at your wedding, you know? I don't want to see it once this week. Get it out now. Okay, maybe it's like a reverse jinx type of thing. It's like yeah. you're putting, like, bad juju into the world, like, yes. but for him. Yes. I can get behind that. So no touchdowns for Jalen Waddle this week? Goose egg. Goose egg. Yeah. You'll catch the ball. Yes. Yes. And you want to know who else will catch the ball? Yeah. 
Our defense. Whoa, interceptions coming? Two. Two of them. Whew, okay. All right, now I'm getting fired up. That would be great. If the Jets get two interceptions and allow no touchdowns to Jalen Waddell, that is a recipe for a success right there. You just need to see the stuff from the Jets' offense as well, but that would be a good start. It comes down to Teddy Bridgewater, steady Teddy trying to rip apart the zone, and then the two crazy wide receivers, Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell, that are like the most athletic freak athletes in the world, that if they get the ball in their hands, who knows what can happen. The other offensive weapon that I'm really looking at in this game to be a factor for the Dolphins is Mike Gesicki, the franchise tag tight end who didn't have a great repertoire with Tua Tungavailoa earlier this year, but is an absolute weapon because of the yards after catch ability that he has. You match that with Teddy Bridgewater, a decisive quarterback who stands in the pocket, can rip apart a soft zone probably. Mike is going to be lined up potentially against linebackers, much smaller nickel cornerbacks, strong safety. It's going to be a potential mismatch for them. So if the Jets, Sauce, and DJ Reed are able to limit Waddle and Tyreek Hill, which I think is possible, look for Mike Kosicki to be the other guy that they really try to lean on. I'm not as worried about their running backs. They got speed in the backfield. Chase Edmonds, Raheem Mostert, Miles Gaskin. Those guys all have some speed, but they don't have a lot of power. And they're not the type of guys that I really worry about in the running game. They're the type of dudes that you want to watch out of the flats in the backfield in the passing game. So it's going to be a big task for the linebackers and for... Uh, you know, the, the safeties, everybody really just to tackle guys because it's going to be people in space. It's probably going to be Chase Edmonds and Raheem Mostert with speed in space. you got to get to the point of attack quick, get to the kill zone, make the tackles, and that's basically what we're looking at there. They do a pretty good offensive line led by left tackle Tron Armstead, their best offensive line player, but overall it's a pretty good unit, and, you know, they're rolling right now. It's a 3 and one team. Teddy Bridgewater's coming in, who is not necessarily a huge downgrade, and we're going to see what the Jets can do against that offense. When you look at the Dolphins' defense, they have a pretty good front, right? Emmanuel Ogba was re-signed. He's a really good pass rusher. we got to watch out for him for sure, especially as we're working through all these moving parts on the offensive line. If ABT's back at left tackle, if Dwayne Brown's back, if Connor McDermott can play, or I'm not exactly sure what the scoop is going to be with that offensive line, but we know that they made it through the Pittsburgh Steelers and Alex Highsmith. They now have to look at Emmanuel Ogba, Jalen Phillips, Melvin Ingram, Christian Wilkins, some good players there. They've got some veteran tight ends, right? They got uh, Alex Van Ginkle. They got um, Alandon Roberts, who played for the Patriots for a long time. So decent linebackers. And their secondary feels like Xavier Howard always has a good game against the Jets, always finds a way to come up with an interception or a big play. Two good safeties there in Brandon Jones. They also have Javon Holland. So the secondary is pretty good. Overall, it's just like a well-oiled machine right now. It's like the sum is greater than the total parts, where you, you look around and you're like, it's not a bunch of huge names across the team, but they play well and they get results. Offense, they got those big weapons. Special teams, they got a pretty good kicker in Jason Sanders. Our old punter, Thomas Morstead, so not a huge uh, not a huge threat there in the punting game. Overall, I think the Dolphins are a good team. I think they're trying to figure some stuff out, and they're in a weird place right now in terms of the media and what's going on with Tua, Teddy coming in as the backup. The Jets are playing at MetLife. And they're starting to roll a little bit. If Zach Wilson can keep the confidence and build off last week and the skill players and you know young guys can pop, I think the Jets can come out with a win in this game. I'm predicting 26-19 to 19 New York Jets win. We're catching the Dolphins at the right time. And it really all comes down to Teddy Bridgewater, whether or not he's able to rip apart the zone, the wide receiver running back and tight end yards after catch for the Dolphins, Zach Wilson, and our offensive line's ability to protect him. What do you have for a prediction in this game here, Katie? You know I had to, I had to chime in. 
Oh yeah, what do you got here? I'm thinking 3124. I, I think it's going to be a little bit higher too. In those two interceptions that I'm predicting, I hope will translate into some points. 3124. Jets win, I assume. Of course. Of course the Jets win. At home against the Dolphins. This would be a great one. I like 3124. 26-19 both have them losing by 7, so if they could be 3 and 2, second place in the division ahead of the Miami Dolphins would then be 3 and 2. Patriots obviously still in the basement because they suck. The Bills are playing the Pittsburgh Steelers this week with Kenny Pickett playing. Probably going to be an easy win for them there. But just imagine some scenario where they lose and they go to 2-3. and 3-2. Three. Three but still, like the Jets would have the ability to be potentially like in the conversation for first place in the AFC East five weeks into the season, which would be absolutely nuts and something to, something to root for. Yeah. Watch all those games because it is all relevant right now. Yeah. There's been plenty of times we've watched the Jets and it's like, it doesn't matter if the Bills or Dolphins win or lose. It doesn't matter if we win or lose. Just affecting draft stock and, you know, evaluation games, I used to call them. But right now, this is real, like, yeah. they lose, we win. Oh, shit. Don't look now. Jets are in the playoffs. What's that? They won a Super Bowl? Holy shit, the dynasty just began and it never ends? This is what we're heading towards. Once again, huge numbers person. We're 2-2. Two and two. Zach Wilson, number two. He'll lead us second place in the division. Boom. Calling it. Ready. That's a... I'm ready. There it is. So that's it. That is the Jets. A potential win this week. Paychecks think so. I think so. And if they can pull it off, 3-2 and two would be an awesome place to be five weeks into the season. I can't wait to come back next week and talk about it. As always, please remember to rate, review, subscribe to the podcast anywhere podcasts are found. Also follow me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan. And go onto the YouTube channel. This is the Jet Life. Find the video. Give it a thumbs up. Give it a subscribe, comment. It's always appreciated. And that's it. That's all I got for this one. Until next time, I'm Dan Burnham. That is Paycheck. And this is The Jet Life.